This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. This is Houston Huddleston from New Starship, and I'm restoring the Enterprise D bridge, and you're listening to Trek FM. T. Earl Grey, hot. It's time for another steaming hot Earl Grey, our dedicated TNG show. I'm Darren Moser, sitting in the center chair this week, and sitting to my right over at the engineering station one is chief architect for the 1701e daniel prue daniel this is a remarkable ship well uh thank you darren i appreciate it very much i did spend nine tenths of the design process on the nacelles and really that's kind of the it shows (laughs) (laughs) Uh, clearly like obviously they are the feature of the ship and they're the first things you notice and the and the things that leave the biggest impression. So, what do we what do we in your nacelle scale, Darren? What do we get? What am I getting? A one to ten scale. What am I getting here? Ten being the best. Oh man, with without something to compare it to, uh, it's going to be difficult. I would. I think it gets an Excelsior. No, whoa, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Philip. You haven't been introduced yet. You have no right to talk on this ship right now. So just just keep your silence in that corner. Go ahead, Darren. Let's let's give it a uh, let's see E. That's one, two, three, four. Let's give it a a, a six. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, you guys have fun doing the show. I'm about to leave. So, no. well, before- how much do those nacelles cost? Uh, we don't. Uh, they actually don't cost anything in the future. We don't. We don't have money. So that means I don't get paid. But go ahead, uh, go ahead, Darren, and introduce Philip because he's obviously just going to just talk throughout <laughs> any part of the show that he's not involved in. So just let's get him on the show. Well, jabbering away over my left shoulder at Tactical Station Two is Lieutenant Commander Philip Gilfus. Philip, are you ready to shoot some quantum torpedoes, Mister Gilfus? I'm. Uh, wait, quantum? Uh, the last torpedo I fired was. Photon. Um, oh yeah, we we went. Uh, we pulled out all the stops, not only for nacelles but for awesome blue torpedoes. This this doesn't look anything like the station I'm used to. I'm used to some random ovals and um. How how come your doors don't have gearboxes? I'm used to those being. What's what's going on here? It's been a long time since I've been in a decent Starfleet ship, or at least a big one. Don't worry, we we have your oval. We just turned it ninety degrees and aimed it forward. So. We wanted it to be still recognizable as a, as an enterprise. Okay, well, I don't know if I'm qualified to fire a phaser with this red shirt on, but but I'll try. Well, it's okay. It's only on your collar. You know, that tiny little bit of cloth that you can see maybe if you're standing five feet away? That's how we'll know, you know, that you're you're part of, uh, part of command. But, oh, but after the longest intro ever, now that we have all settled in on the Enterprise-E, it's time to... Fight our deadliest foe, the Borg. Today we'll be following up to our review of the Borg by discussing Star Trek First Contact. New ship, new script, and an old arch nemesis. I mean, I mean villain. 
uh, can't say can't say the n word on uh, on oh. this on this description. <laughs> oh man! Oh. <laughs> Don't want to confuse our viewers of what uh, what movie we're talking about. Like, there's any confusion between the two. Let's just let's just say that. But but as we start uh, the Enterprise E. What do we like about this new ship called Enterprise? Uh, Daniel, uh, nacelle expert Daniel, what what are your thoughts on this fine bird of the stars? Well, you you just asked the question, what do we like about the Enterprise E? Uh, and I dare say everything. Um, I don't know. I, I, yes, of course, the nacelles, which are beautiful and are essentially the most perfect nacelles that we see on Star Trek. Uh, arguably, if we're, if we're going to start if we're going to start arguing alternate universes, well, that's a totally separate uh, argument. But but definitely in the primetime universe, the E has the nacelles to beat. So that you're you're already getting a ten out of, out of my scale. Um, one thing that I do want to say that I want to bring up in the E discussion is the fact that for the first time in Star Trek, really in Star Trek, we get a sense of scale with the enterprise E I just, I mean, I love the fact that we get to go out on the enterprise E and then pull back and see how tiny little people are when they're walking, you know, on towards the deflector. And like, it's going to take a while. Like we have to cut away. It's going to take so long to get from the, the airlock to the, the deflector control. I, I love that. And, uh, I don't know. I just love everything about the E. Um, I was struck by one thing that I want to get your guys's comments on, um, the conference room, the observation lounge in the mm-hmm. Enterprise E is literally the exact same thing as the conference. I didn't realize this until this most recent time rewatching it, but it's just a color swap. They didn't even uh, bother to try to make anything different, I feel There's like. different ship models. Yeah, These and they put them behind a glass case. Dimensional. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. No, you're misunderstanding because because on the Enterprise D, the ship models are in the observation lounge. And on the Enterprise E, they're in the ready room. What I'm talking about is the observation lounge of the D and the observation lounge of the E are right. the same. No, we know what you're they, saying. The, the, but they don't yeah. have ship models in the in the observation. Yes, oh they yeah, that, that's where they are. Yeah, he wasn't in the ready room. No, no, he was, was sitting at the I end. I thought he was. He was at the end no, of the table. If you <clears throat> if you look clearly on the door label yeah. when Lily oh, walks no, into that scene, cut this out. We have to start over. Lounge. We can't do this. I can't be known as this guy who gets this wrong. Oh, you're we so have to cut this guy. You're so. I thought. What did confuse me though is that. The uh, Picard did move his Mentakan blanket from his quarters into his ready room on the E. And Good that notice me. of detail, Philip. That's so Cause true. Because I, I was like, he's in his quarters. No, he's in his ready room. He just came out. And so so yeah. he's yeah. only the in the ready room in the beginning of the movie. Pretty yes. much, yeah. Is he's sitting at the end of the table, and they do, and then they when they shoot at the reverse direction, that's, yeah, it's they put them behind the glass, but, yeah, it's in the it's the same room. Oh, and he has a sleepaway God. sofa now in his ready room. So that's you know what? Pretty... I, I knew that. I was testing you guys. So Good I appreciate, I appreciate the clarification. Passed. I'm glad we um, passed. No, you know what? Also, I think something that threw me off a little bit is the fact that the placement of these rooms are different on the E. Like Ready room's on the opposite side. Yeah, ready room is on the other side of the bridge. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. I'm, I'm also, not there's, gonna... there's now a there's now the one thing they've improved is the holodeck slash hollow suite. There's now a privacy lobby, so you still open the doors and interrupt somebody. You have but to go into the little waiting room. Is it a lobby then... or is it? Because I felt like when I was watching that scene, I felt like it was just a really zoom in close on the arch. Like like a really like no, you can't. It's a small room. Well, There's two it, doors. Yeah, because he goes through a door and then he turns a corner and door. goes through another door. 
So there's there's at least it's either a lobby or there's like a corridor that there's a right angle at at some point. A privacy lobby. A privacy. So okay. Don't interrupt the person's fantasy. They finally got my notes. <laughs> you know, my interruption. I mean, my friend, my friend who kept getting interrupted in some of his holodeck fantasies. And, yeah. <laughs> so, Philip, what things do you like about this uh, ship called Enterprise with the E? Again, I, I echo y'all's comments. I mean, I think it is, in my opinion, the best-looking Enterprise. Um, uh, even though, you know, growing up with the D, and then D obviously having a, it's an important space, but E just definitely in love with it. I mean, I think it does have a more militaristic feel, at least in the hallways, which I'm not a super fan of. I mean, I get it, but I'm like, it doesn't have to be that militaristic-looking. Like, you know, we... I mean, I don't know what the in-world... Like, are we saying this is a warship built because of the war or the Borg? Or it's Like, it could have a little bit softer palette to it than it does. But other than that, I mean, I do like the, 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 the brown, the lighting. I did notice there was still some shadow play here, not as harsh as Generations. We weren't near a lot of suns. I did notice that. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, so Just I don't, I don't know why they, they, they are so scared of doing actual lighting. Um, I know they want to make it a movie feel. But anyway. Um, but, but other than that, I'm not, I, I can't think of any complaints. I love the exterior. I love seeing the escape pods, um, the links, the, the bridge, the, the different rooms. My only complaint... It's just I would never work in engineering knowing that there's <laughs> tubes of poisonous gas that can be shattered by any passing android with a sneeze that would kill all organic uh, life there. Uh, but you can't even do a decent uh, barrel roll. <laughs> Choo! Are you, I mean, where, where's are the you, screen going to come down? Are you I mean, guys – Are do you – I mean – and this could be me just interpreting it wrong, but – especially in the engineering room, without a doubt. And, well, m- most of all, uh, sickbay, obviously, followed by the engineering room, followed by the, uh, the, the, the actual hallways on the decks. I'm, I, I like the aesthetic of, of what it looks like, but I'm, I'm kind of put off as how they must have just been Voyager redresses. For all of oh those. yeah, it was a sick bay. Looked definitely like Voyager. The sick, sick bay, bay was yeah, without a doubt. Oh, yeah. but I mean, even it must have been the engineering uh, deck as well, shell. right? Even came with an EMH, really. Same thing. No, no, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Well, the they may have redressed the sick bay, but I'm pretty sure uh, the main engineering had to be a completely new set. I mean, there's this was the first time you could actually walk around the warp core. Yeah, it was was just like against the wall. Okay. No, the (laughs) Voyager was a redress of or not redress, but it was built over over the D structure. but well, my points on the on the Enterprise E, I'll go with some things that I not didn't like. I won't go that far, but just bugged me. One is, yeah, the whole warp core in the middle of the room. Like, I don't know. It felt like almost like okay, it, it's basically the exact same as the D, except for they just didn't continue that one deck all the way up to the reaction chamber. Like, I don't get why it needs to be you know, 30 feet in the air. Like, do you have to get a scissor lift in when you got to change out that dilithium crystal? You know, I, I don't, it, it works, but it's, it doesn't seem, maybe it's just supposed to have more workspace. So they don't have to cluster around that pool table. They just, you know, they can actually get work done in there. But, uh, but also in a lot of the hallways, when Picard is leading Lily around, there's one hallway they're walking through where there's literally like, I don't know, a crowd control barrier, some sort of piping, like running down the middle of the hallway. And I just look at that and I'm like, who designed this? Put this behind a bulkhead. And speaking of which, what was that room used for 
where Picard leads Lily out of the Jeffrey tube and like, here's our room with a big hole to look through down to space. I mean, what um, what is that room possibly Philip, for? That's all that's in that room. Philip, that that is the that is the 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 drill diving room where you that's where you jump oh. out of the ship to land on the drill that is harming some other planet. I see. And then, yes, okay. Well, no, yeah, Philip and I talked about this uh, when we were actually in the room uh, <laughs> on the other side of the ship and. And I think it must be well because obviously every time the, an Enterprise flies around a planet, it's flying with you know the left side of the ship towards the planet, and so that is the viewing port so that we can see you know where we are in space. I mean, I think I think what it probably was originally for was when Jordy still had his visor. That was the place <laughs> where he would go and look out the window and sure and serve his ship sensors but then they made it designed it they commissioned the ship and then then he got the implants and they're like oh well we're we gonna use this thing for now well, but, le- but let's let's rewind here and, and let's be fair to that scene there is no normal access into that room it is it is a <laughs> room that conjoins two jeffrey's tubes so there's no conceivable practical way to get to that room so it's the architect's only... like let's just put a window here because you know what i like windows maybe that's the sweet spot of the enterprise e maybe if he had kicked off they would have floated to the top it's the secret garden of the enterprise e. <laughs> is that where <laughs> is that where <laughs> I was going to say, is that where Picard practices his flute? Is that the sweet spot you've been It may be. Yeah, very well may be. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's a great it's a great ship. I love the layout. Uh, I love, you know, the bridge is, is beautiful. It feels, you know, like we've discussed before, like all the extra stations are, are good. Like it feels like an actual bridge that's being used and serviced by people. There's, you know, the, the even the access, you know, in the floor to, to climb up and down. And, you know, it's just a really well, well well-designed ship. And I even like the deflector, which feels, I mean, it's a little bit more harken back to, uh, you know, almost like a TOS deflector. Cause it's, it's not just a big ball of light, you know, it's actually like a mechanical thing, you know, for, for deflectoring. (laughs) And I do love Starfleet's use of color coding. It's like, all right, we're going to make a manual deflector release. Let's just do it all black. No, wait, wait. We have to use the colors. Wait, why? No, no. We have to do red, blue, and gold. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why would we have to do that? But but it, if like... card tries to undo the gold one, it doesn't let him because he's not the right color. <laughs> and can I ask, do you guys, this is how I feel a little bit, uh, jumping from Generations and the whole show to First Contact. I get a little sad every time I see Picard in the captain's chair because he seems lonely. Like he's just isolated and I'm like, this isn't how we are. Like for like maybe for Kirk, like, yeah, he's in the center and this is but like and I know that this maybe that's what they were going for. But I'm like, oh, P- Picard, like, where's your buddy Riker? He's supposed to be there to help you. So, Will, tell me that story. Oh, he's over there. I can't ask him about that. He's so far away. If I, I'd, <laughs> I'd have to, have to text him on my console. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to raise my voice, and then yeah, everyone would hear. And oh, it's just, it's just sad. Well, one last thing I'll say about the the bridge is, you know, what do I do? I, I, forgot, I forgot. What do I do? <laughs> Senility is setting in. <laughs> Anyway, the last thing Sorry. I was going to say about the, the bridge is, is not from the movie, but from Darren's favorite book, Ship of the Line, where they actually show that when this ship was built as a tribute to the Enterprise D, they actually built uh, refurbished pieces for, and, and you know, pieces of deuterium and 
and titanium from the Enterprise D they built into the structure as a tribute to that ship that had fallen. Uh, and that's a really kind of pivotal moment and, and very emotional for the Enterprise crew to realize that their ship is still kind of around them. Uh, obviously not in the movie, but it's a really cool, cool scene. Is that like trying to rub it in for Troy or something? Or? Yeah, it's, it's like don't, it's a constant reminder to never put her on con. Like, don't yeah. just just don't but put her. That would who have, would do that a second yeah. time? I mean, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, moving into like we were saying, from generations to first contact transitions to we're transitioning to movie as the TNG crew. Let's try this take two. Uh, was this the real transition to film? Because I mean, let's be honest, like. It gets everything right. The story is great. The The action is great. It has the moral quandaries. It has Picard at his best. A lot of the characters are at their best in this movie. Uh, Data, you know, the, you have the new uniforms. You have the new comm badges. Jordy's got his new eyes. There's time travel involved. I mean, uh, honestly, like, we did we really need another movie that transitioned us from TOS to TNG? Or was this really the the kickoff to the franchises? I, I think the box office would say so. I, I think you forgot to mention the most important noticeable change. Beverly's now a blonde. <laughs> Strawberry blonde. Philip, come on. She's half of what you are. You can't get too mad at her. Oh, I'm very mad. I, it just doesn't. It's against, it's against Federation law to dye your hair if you're a redhead. Well, at least that's, she that's... wasn't uh, removed from the second movie and replaced by another doctor just like season two. You know, second movie, season two. Oh, that could have that could have happened. But, I mean, Darren, you bring up a great point because the, the parallels are there. Um, you know, between the, Star Trek The Motion Picture and Star Trek Two, it was like, not that I think Generations was as challenged as the Motion Picture, but it's sort of like, ah, oh, you know, our Star Trek Two, we're doing this for real now. This is the for real Star Trek movie, and it succeeded. And you and don't got, want you know, a three-hour panning shot of the Enterprise <laughs> approaching a cloud. Um, and you know, Star Trek Two is kind of what helped that. You know, I love the standard orbit guys talk that, but I think you know, I don't think Generations was terrible. But we've already talked about that. But but first contact was sort of like, okay, you know, we're not, or you're out in in real in in world. Um, universe. Okay, so no more D. Like you said, new uniforms, new everything, um, which I think presents both both great things, like you said, but also some uh, story challenges. Like there's certain, you know, suddenly there's a missing member. You know, now we have you know Lieutenant Daniels at tact. Is that actually his name? I almost made. No, it's uh, Lieutenant Hawk. Hawk. No, no, no. At tactical. Oh, a tactical. Well, that gets replaced by Worf real fast. So, I don't remember. Lieutenant Daniels or whatever. whatever. Him, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but so Worf is you know not part of the Enterprise, right? So that's the first right. thing. Um, the, and then Geordi's eyes, and but but I think in in some way the challenge to me again everything you said, great film, and we're gonna get into it. Um, but in world, I find it a little challenging that everyone is still there. You know, Worf has moved on. Like, really, yeah. Riker didn't get talked to get another command in a year from the new ship. I mean, I get Picard still there, but everyone else, you know, should have kind of scattered to the four winds. I'm glad they didn't. Well, but it, it's kind of like hard to challenge. Like, we get to, like, the original series territory. We have, like, the 70-year-old commander still at communication station, you know. Right. Well, to one thing, I think you think of the lifespan of a normal starship. Like, they're built to last at least 20 years. So losing the, the Enterprise D after seven, I mean... 
in that regard, you could say, well, the Enterprise and her crew, their mission is still not done yet, you know. But do we know that? I mean, in Star Trek, like... No, it's never stated. From, this is all aside from like but. right, right. Aside from I mean, the hood, which is in which is in commission, you know, is in service for I don't know seven hundred years, a million I think, possibly. years. <laughs> yeah, um, we don't like. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to disagree with you, Darren. I'm just saying, like, I don't. We don't get an example of, of a ship that actually gets to just kind of retire. We get ships that blow up or whatever and get new versions of themselves. Sometimes within a week, like the Defiant, which just gets a new ship just because <laughs> or or, or the Defiant pull, A. Yes. Or to, to pull, pull it back, the, the Enterprise, uh, you know, the Enterprise to the Enterprise A. Hey, we have an extra ship here long. We already we painted just, it by the time can, you got back. <laughs> what do you mean you've already got one? They say they've already got one. <laughs> So, so like, yeah, I don't know, point. I don't know, like, I, I, I it's just... Well, no, I, I remember there's a, there's a episode where, um, I think Wesley is, I don't know, talking about going to the Academy or something, and Jordy's like, well, if Captain Picard's still in command, yeah, you know, and it's like, well, you know, I never thought of that, and so, again, I, I'm not trying, you know, I, I think was thinking, it's... you have to do something like, man, I'm sure glad we're all back together yeah. and had the same assignment, what are the odds, what do we, and we sat around for, like, eight months while this was being built. I think at its core, that's just a television show bumping up against reality. Like, in reality, obviously, they wouldn't be, you know, doing the same thing again. Oh, the gang got all back together. But in a television show, well, of course you have to have these people on a ship called Enterprise, or you can't make a movie. We got new torpedoes, as we've mentioned. Now we have quantum over photons and everything else. To answer your question, Darren... I have to borrow a term that I heard from uh, my f- one of my favorite podcasters and my favorite captain for this week, which is Cannon Locked. And I and I have to say that I totally I, <laughs> I totally agree that um, what First Contact does that Generations doesn't is it's not beholden to everything that TNG is. And I think that if they had given Generations a year or two or three that we could have gotten two first contacts. We, we could have gotten two... Second contact? We, well, you know what I'm saying. We could have gotten two really... <laughs> you know, regardless of what you feel about uh, any... Even if you don't like first contact, but we could have gotten, like, this kind of rebirth of the next generation, which we did get in, TN, or, which, in first contact, and could have kind of explored it a little bit more, Where whereas Generations was a little bit more of a, well, we have to tie up all these loose ends, and we kind of have to... You know, the TOS movies never had to deal with that. They yeah. they just they're like we're doing this is new. We're doing years new later. things now. <laughs> or yeah. whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and and one thing I, I I when Picard took command of the fleet, I almost and then again it, this is just me. It's stupid. Probably when people don't agree, but I was like, what if they had made Picard like fleet captain? Like he was fleet captain Picard, or even like Commodore Picard or something. Like he just like gotten that rank in first contact. I mean, I, maybe it's stupid, but I'm like, I just feel like he should have had some sort of. So there should have been some progression for someone in the past year. Is all I'm saying. Don't you badmoral our Other than Worf. Don't you badmoral him. <laughs> <laughs> it was only a year, though. I mean, or two, I guess. Two, yeah. two years. Well, they were out in space for a year, and so yeah. one's presumed. There was a shakedown crew, so it wasn't yeah. really a big deal. Well, I really like, I, I again, re- in rewatching this, I love the beginning and just how it's all set up because, you know, they're off, you know, doing their thing. And, and when he starts talking about the Borg, 
you know, and he's like, this moment that I've been, (laughs) yeah, he's like this moment I've been fearing for, you know, for six years, it just, it fits like a perfect puzzle piece into everything, into the canon. Like, uh, it fits like a cybernetic arm, (laughs) but no, it's, that part's great. And (laughs) yes, yes. Daniel's pretending he has a cybernetic arm. (laughs) The subtitles for viewers. (laughs) For those of you who are Jordy and can't see our podcast. Oh, come on. (laughs) But no, it's, it's great. And it's such a, such a great kickoff to, to this, um, to the movie. And it's, and like we said, the, it's a great, great plot. Um, but yeah, no, I think, does anyone else have anything to say about just take two movies? Well, again, I mean, just that this movie does have everything, um, you know, comedy, suspense, horror, um, drama, because like the whole Zephyr Cochran storyline, I don't know how you would describe that, drama. Barkley. Barkley. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, it can't be perfect. Um, But, and then also this sets up, and and again, not to go to a tangent, but like it sets up the history of the future history of Earth. I was going to say the Federation, but that would want to be right. But, you know, how did, first contact, how did we get to be this Star Trek society? And it talks about, well, this is why. I mean, this basically serves as the pre-pilot, if you want to call it, for Enterprise. Okay? And well, so that's true. This, Up I mean, to this, this point, everything. we didn't know this chapter of, of Star Trek history. I mean, it's been around, this movie's been around so long now that we, and we have Enterprise and all this other stuff, but that's true to think about this this chapter of Star Trek of our future had not been told yet. And it, but it feels like such an important part that it kind of should have been told by now. And, and also first contact touches every other franchise to that point. You have a Voyager mm-hmm. shout out with the EMH. You have a, or excuse me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, you have a DS nine shows the defiant um, and, and Worf and another Voyager. You so have cool. Ethan Phillips. So, I mean, it, uh, it and obviously out. enterprise with regeneration. <laughs> and and a TOS uh, a reference with Zephyrm Cockrum, obviously. There you go. Exactly. We get to Very see good. what happens. The to changeling. Him, you know, no, no, not the changeling. Uh, metamorphosis. I don't the, I don't metamorphosis. Title. Yeah, was TOS. So yeah. So yeah, no, the perfect movie. Let's just. Uh, I think we're done. I think we're, yeah. we're good. No, thanks for listening. All right, have a good um, night, guys. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no. Uh, but no. Moving on. Uh, TNG Borg. This is where we finally get a decent budget to envision the big bad of TNG. And I'm pretty sure, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, timeline wise, this obviously came out before the Borg showed up in Voyager. So this is where the quote unquote Voyager look Borg come from. They're not Voyager look, they're, you know, first contact look and everyone, uh, you know, uh, Let's see. Papa Borg went down to the to the Bymart and got a super discount on laser pointers because every Borg gets a laser pointer shoved in his eye now, which is great. And, or her. Or her. Yeah. And um, well, yeah, we get Ensign, you know, forehead wrinkle who gets, uh, uh, you know, assimilated pretty early on. And well, uh, it was a redhead, which is typical. Typical. <laughs> we we also have literally there are so many, you know. Uh, uh, people that have laser pointers that we have to shove them in a dark closet and not turn on the light so that we know that they have this laser yeah. pointer. Yeah. Which is a pretty well, awesome, awesome scene. But yeah. <laughs> it, No, it is. It really is. Yeah, but. Well, it's funny because we talked about rebooting TNG last week, but this reboots the Borg. 
Um, because, and you all talked about this when we had our Borg discussion, and I was kind of really thinking about it, because it's hard, you know, being 2014 and seeing everything up to this point in Star Trek, you forget where things start. But, like, Daniel, or Dan, which one of you were talking about how, you know, Q-Who was all about technology, but I, isn't this really the first time that lays out Borg philosophy about perfection? I mean, they didn't touch on that in Descent, did they, or in iBorg? It wasn't about pursuing perfection, no, was it? I mean, it wasn't. This is, I think, this it is the ultimate Iborg. reboot. Everything we know from the Borg that we think we know from the Borg really comes from first contact. Take that, me. Voyager! You didn't originate anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, That's okay. a good point. That's a good point. I, I and I have to. I have to, in a, in a sense, disagree with Philip. The, my biggest problem with this, with first contact, by far, is this concept of uh, a Borg queen which I think actually kind of slaps in the face of the, the entire concept of the Borg. I think it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it works. It works in the movie. It works for what they, the story that they lay out to tell. I think that this is the beginning of the cheapening and the uh, defacing or, or, you know what I mean, like the, the kind of demystifying of the Borg by far. Like this is where it starts is right here. Well, uh, Descent's not that great, but whatever. Uh, but, you know, I mean, like this is where it's like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like this, this entire collective has this one individual voice that is supposed to speak for the. She's she's blah, she's blah, not blah, the leader. Blah. She merely brings order to chaos. <laughs> That's true. They did do a good job trying to stay not fairly answer the vague. question. You know, it's not like she's not the central and part she's of their brain. Always, and she's always been there, Daniel. Yeah, she was there yeah, in best of both worlds. Like she, like right where you couldn't see the camera. That yeah, was where the board coin that, was. that part's kind of weird. And the whole answer, you have such four-dimensional minds. It's like, wait, what? That That's not an answer <laughs> at all. That doesn't that doesn't explain it at all. Because there doesn't have to be an answer. Yeah, there no, there doesn't. But um, I was actually trying to watch this. I, I was just recently, you know, I was just watching this movie, and I was trying to think, could this could First Contact be done without the Borg Queen? And I actually think it could be done. Obviously, you'd have to change a significant part of the end of the film and some of the motivations during the film. But I actually think she's not actually bringing a whole lot to the plot and, and, and to the, you know, the character development of the Borg. And I think that we could still have a scary, creepy, awesome enemy in First Contact without the Borg Queen. Uh, I mean, I, don't know. I think you have, you you have, have that interesting data plot. Yeah, I mean, you know. I, to- I, is that interesting? Yeah. Uh. Well, he's but, only he's only tempted for point zero zero four seven seconds, so guys. He that's says, that's not that much. If you don't believe much. androids can exaggerate, <laughs> I, I noticed. Why was he cradling that flesh? Why didn't he rip it away like a defective circuit? Also, why did they make flesh that would bleed? Why didn't they just give him flesh that didn't bleed? I, don't, I didn't really get why they went to that part of construction of like let's add blood. Well, and and but you're right though. It's you know all those scenes. I mean, yes, there's there's more of a dichotomy of the Borg queen to data than there is to Picard because he doesn't even get into that room until much, much later in the movie. And you're right. It's like, okay, now just picture this. You take the Borg queen out. Data has been captured. He's being assimilated in some or reverse assimilated or whatever you want to call it. Uh, But it's just two assimilation drones that are there, you know, that are are they sexy know. assimilation drones? <laughs> no, they're just you know. But the only twist I could think of in this short time span is that maybe they were obviously like 
Like, what if it was like Nurse Ogawa or like a really well known? Don't you dare, <laughs> Darren! Don't you dare! No, no, say the line is drawn that. here <laughs> this time, no further. But I'm just saying, if if it wasn't just a generic drone that beamed over that was doing it, it was someone we knew of. I mean, it can't be one of the seven, obviously, but it could be, you know, a secondary. Okay, it's Barkley. That make you happy. Barkley's assimilated and he's taking, you know. Oh, it makes me happy. <laughs> but. Well, if they're looking for perfection, they probably want it. <laughs> he gets oh, come on, but that's a, that's the whole point of the Borg. Like they don't have to have that, that's one. Of, that's my point. Like they don't have to have this this representative that is supposed to be, you know, that's supposed to speak for that. Like I understand that. Like, Locutus? and even I was going to I was just going to mention that even Locutus okay. is kind of in a way contradictory to. But I, I I reconcile that by saying they don't really know what the Borg is supposed to be at that point. Yeah. And by saying, you know, it's a different situation. But 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 she's always have been there and she's like has this like, sexuality about her and I understand that's part of her appeal slash threateningness, but she it's does to me, act it's different like, than any other Borg we see. No, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's like how is this person in charge like the the, the threat of the Borg is that they're nonstop and they don't yeah. care. They have. They don't care. They're just like. Her so threat, why do we have to? Yeah, her threat shouldn't be that she's trying to seduce you. Her threat is that in a in an instant she can control any of the Borg around you and just kill you. Like they, like you. She she is not in danger at all in this entire situation. You're talking with her. And one thing they reboot the Borg about is the assimilation concept. Mm. Um, because one thing, one problem I had with the captain. And I don't know. It's one of those things where I don't. Picard. His name's Picard. Just so you know, he's the Picard. Um, is <laughs> that? Um, and I don't know if it's just I can't see myself making the decision. Or, okay, because here it goes. All right, in best of both worlds, um, we saw Picard assimilated, and we saw him unassimilated. In first contact, they say, "Oh, once you're assimilated, you're done. You're done. Might as well just shoot him in the head." And so you have Captain Picard like shooting the guy, like killing his crewman. Like, left and right. Like, the entire episode, I think the Borg killed half the crew and Picard killed the other half himself. <laughs> um, and I'm and, like, and Lily is, did is that, point that out. Is that a good thing? Is that, is it, do we, do we think that's a good thing? No. Well, <laughs> no, I actually, I think that it's against his character on one hand, but on the other hand, in that particular situation, like, Picard had the entire Enterprise crew backing him up and, 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 specifically going after him for that purpose. On the other hand, like if your ship is half run by uh, Borg at that point, this is just going to make another Borg drone. Like you're never well, getting it back at that point. You're, uh, well, think about it pragmatically. this way though. They are a Borg. They are a Borg. But, but if you, okay, think about this, pull back like really, really far to like the 10,000 like foot the level. the beginning of the movie. Okay. Like the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Into the Borg cube. Um, but almost picture this as this is what's going on inside Picard's mind as he's being assimilated in best of both worlds His like, I mean, I'm not saying obviously this is not what the movie actually was, but in a slight way you can draw a parallel to like, you know, as your humanity is being consumed by the Borg, which is singularly represented by the queen and your ship is being assimilated. Like as your body is being, you know, taken over. I, I I'm just saying, obviously it's not a representation, but it's a parallel to the assimilation he went through. Yeah. 
Can I can I just suggest this idea that um, I think a big key that a lot of people miss is Picard's reaction to Hugh. Like, mm. I think that's the key to unlocking what does Picard think about the Borg and what does he think should happen to the Borg. And, and actually, this is why I think that, you know, Picard and Seven of Nine would, would really make a really interesting. And I, I don't know if they've done it in the books. I think maybe they have, but just like a really fascinating pairing. But um, he, he, he ends up starting, obviously, to hate this character and almost to use him as a, as a weapon to destroy all of his kind and then says, no, I'm not going to do that. But I'm kind of going to condemn him to a life back in the Borg. Like he's so conflicted, I think Picard, yeah. as to what he thinks the Borg should should do, or what he should do about the Borg, or he should be about the Borg. Like it makes sense that we get this kind of dichotomy between, you know, best best of both worlds, Borg Picard and First Contact Borg Picard. I'm looking forward to reading the Picard and Seven Danfic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I think, you know, in, you mentioned earlier uh, in the episode, Darren, here, that we see Picard at his best, but I would argue we don't, because um, he is on his Captain Ahab rant. Uh, he has some good parts. It's not yeah. like Generations where he's just crying the whole time um, <laughs> and can't throw a punch to save his life, but because um, he does have some good moments here. But yeah, he does. But he, the, the Captain, which I don't have a problem with the Captain Ahab thing, be, even though it's like, is it in character? Is it out of character? I don't know, you know, because do we ignore Descent and Ibor? He's just like best of both worlds to this movie. Um, but in some ways, we've seen it with every captain. So why not see Picard? Like, you know, we had Kirk with Operation Annihilate. This is off the top of my head. Um, so I might be wrong. We, and then the episode where he found like the guy who was the executioner when he was on the colony, who's now like a Shakespeare actor, whatever that one was. We see um, uh, Voyager. Well, we see it a bunch of times in Voyager with Janeway, but like with uh, the Equinox, she goes mm. in our Captain Ahabness. We Ugh. see um, Cisco when he goes with uh, Commander Eddington. Right, yeah. that's his name? Oh, yeah. yes. Um, we see yep. it mm-hmm. with Archer when he just goes crazy in the expanse and is torturing people and then stealing warp cores and stranding people. So, like, we always get to see these at least one or two episodes with the captains, you know, acting very uncaptainy. So, I don't mind this, you know, aberration because it forces you to, you know, ask questions and look at this character and, and him getting pulled back, which apparently the lesson is you can only reach Captain Picard through literary references, which is in keeping with his character. If she um, really wanted to drive the point home, she would have made a Shakespeare reference. But exactly. She got close yeah. with uh, Moby Dick. So, so it goes back and forth because I actually remember when I saw this movie, um, this is actually the only Star Trek movie, like I can tell you like where I was, how I saw it, who I was with. This was actually the first Star Trek movie I ever saw in a movie theater. Um, and I, I was actually in 11th grade at the time. Um, and that, that year in English is American, like author, uh, authors. And so it was very cool to go back to class with the teacher and be like, yeah, they made a Melville reference. And yeah. So, but, um, which I actually have read though. I, I remember it being basically half a whale biology book. Um, but it's, you it, didn't talk about a certain other Star Trek featured American writer. Did you, but just by any chance, I'm just kind of curious. Any anyone else that might be irritating or obnoxious all of the time and has been referenced many times in Star Trek, particularly in TNG. If you can't pick up this reference, we're going to drop the joke. <laughs> all right. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. I, I know. Sorry. We, we, I mean, we said the ultimate enemy and you said the Borg. I was going to yell Mark Twain, but. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were trying to make a, a reference to. You know the one with the whales, yeah, but oh no, no, no! And then okay, the only last thing I'll say. This is the only other like complaint I have about the movie. So time travel is pretty easy, right? 
Oh, yeah. Time travel is pretty easy. You yeah. just re- redo what the Borg did. The Borg know how to do it. Crank up the time travel Atron and okay. boom, they're there. <laughs> That's all I'm throwing out there. <laughs> uh, whoa, Darren. They they produce chroniton particles. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Yeah. They have a chroniton, chroniton particle emitter. Like I, don't, I don't know. Like no, the Borg cube didn't do it. Just the sphere. That was the plan B was well, go back in time. And the Borg sphere did it with such accuracy that it, it showed up the day before first contact. Like, that is so ridiculously precise. And it it's took like, 14 torpedoes in order to blow up the rocket site. No, it didn't even blow up the rocket site. It was I know. Like, uh, no, no, okay, okay. Going, one, last, one last moment that I was just... Okay, it, it's the Borg fight scene uh, at... Uh, Oh, okay. It's the it's the when they're in the ships and the, before they go back in time, and he's taking oh. command, and he gives the order to um to have everyone be ready to shoot in that one spot. Captain, and the, the area you have shown does not seem to be of significant value. Exactly, and okay, so so he gives he says everyone get ready, and then Data says you know, or Riker says okay they're they're ready to fire, and he pauses. <laughs> yeah. And in that moment, you see a little ship. That's flying, and then it just gets hit and explodes. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you could have saved that ship. That ship died needlessly because you just wanted to look at the at your enemy. Add it to your death total, Lacutus. <laughs> oh my god! I'm just thinking. Well, there's a. Oh man, there's a like a hundred people that just there's died. another Jennifer Cisco somewhere <laughs> in my ship. <laughs> it's so true. But uh, anyway, I just I said I'm like just shoot the dang torpedoes. Oh man, but well, okay. One of the last points I wanted to make was um, the story. Just uh, and we've and we've covered a lot of the story as we've been discussing this movie, but. Uh, but I mean, compared to other Star Trek films or or even the TV show, uh, I mean, uh, overall, it seems at least I know for me, I, I really like the story. It's a really good story. Again, a lot of times we're scratching our heads going, where was this in generations? But, you know, it 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 doesn't feel lately. A lot of people talk about in, in the in the new Trek, you know, it's like, oh, let's dumb it down. Let's bring back all the familiar things like that's somehow like streamlining it or making it more appealing to the masses. I don't feel like that's what was done in this movie. It's not like they just pulled the Borg out because, Oh, well everyone hates the Borg. Like we got to put them. It's like, no, like it actually is a good part of the story and is well constructed around it. And it makes it a personal issue with Picard, not just the entire crew. So I I feel it's, it's very well written it it really I, I enjoy the the part in the past you know all the humor that's sprinkled in um, you know getting hollow sweets and leak I get it leak oh gosh yeah no but uh, and and James Cromwell is just superb he he is a great uh, Zephyrin Cochran he's game for anything there when he's like drinking and dancing it's like oh it's rewatching this movie has been such a joy because it is there's so many great one-liners and so many great shots that it's just like i mean like when picard's finally captured in the buzzsaw borg it's like what really why did why do you need that like i i you gonna cut into titanium well sorry you actually need a you get in the ring with buzzsaw <laughs> yeah i own you in this warp core for three minutes <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i love it okay but uh but what are your thoughts on the story uh philip goodness um well, again, the the constr- 
I mean, so many good things, but let me start off with this. When I see First Contact... All good things about, or when, some, when some I, bad things. When I talked about this, when, um, you know, Trek on the First Date episode, um, this is, a, to me, a, the greatest thing to, to show someone because I think, like, the first, like, the all the way up to the Borg battle is for Trek fans and Next Generation fans. You're like, oh, it's it's Best of Both Worlds and it's the new ship and it's, oh my God, and Jordy has his eyes and oh, look, Data's a... That's all for fans. But I think once they go into the past, that is totally for non-fans in a good way. Like, this is totally yeah. accessible. There's Lily. She doesn't know what 24th century is. The fan, non-fan can go with her on this journey. Um, and they also do this brilliant, like... Is there like an A, B, and C story that are both great? Because you have Picard up in the ship. You have Data with the Borg Queen. You have Riker and Geordi yeah. with Zephram. I mean, these are all like three A, B, C stories. I don't even know which how to label which one that are all great and have their own tone to it. You know, Data with the sort of sexy whatever. And then you have Picard with the horror suspense. And you have, you know, Riker with the comedy drama of, you know, and then Zephram, you know, he's this flawed guy, but he turns out to be great. But he, you know, what does history do? What does this mean about what history shows our people? Um, and also like the whole data plot of, which is an odd thing because to me, each movie explores perhaps a different facet of data and it's an odd one, but it works because it starts off with that whole tactile experience with the Phoenix. You know, what does touch mean? And then you give data flesh and touch and sexuality. And it's an interesting aspect of humanity. I don't know if I would have chosen that, but, but it, you know, it works. Um, so, but I, I think, you know, there's just everything going on. It's all good. Philip, do you just, I don't, I don't want to interrupt what you're saying. I just, there was a moment when data was talking about the touching and, and, and the sexuality on this, he mentioned a date and I don't understand why, but he, he mentioned like, um, eight years ago. <laughs> seven he last months. Used his, uh, yeah. I don't what, like, I don't catch that reference. There was, there Does was that happen in TNG or I don't know. Um, I don't like, uh, you would probably about? know her daughter. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll tell you later. Oh, Who? okay. Who? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But what are your what are your thoughts on the overall story, uh, Daniel? Uh, I like if 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 we're gonna separate into A, B, and C plots, like Philip just suggested. I no, like no to bloody the... A, B, C, or <laughs> D. There's plenty of letters left in the alphabet. <laughs> I, I I love two thirds of the plots, and I don't care for the third. Um, I don't like the data, the data, not the the themes of it are interesting, and and what happens is. I guess kind of interesting. I don't like the the Borg Queen. I, I just she, there are interesting things about her. Real quick, I want to mention that uh, Aaron, I was watching activate it tonight. His emotion chip. I was watching it tonight, and she has like you know like all the Borg do on on first contact. Like you can kind of see the I guess the veininess under their skin, but if you look closely at the at the top of her head, like she actually has blinking lights under her skin, which I did not notice ever until the, when I watched this tonight, which I thought was really cool. I thought that was something. Uh, I did I notice never... the blinky lights when her, you know, flesh is melted off and I could see her skull. I definitely yeah, saw the blinky yeah, no, lights no, no, no. at that point, but yeah. Yeah. But if you no, but seriously, if you like, even in her first scene, like you can catch the blinky lights under, you can tell it's, you know, obviously it's prosthetic, but under her skin. Um, but anyways, obviously, obviously, <laughs> Uh, I don't He's care for her character. I don't care for that. I would, like they could have cut that out, and I think that would have been a perfect, perfect TNG film. But I love this film so much; it doesn't matter. Um, but I, and I, I actually kind of focus a little bit more on the Cochran, Riker side of things than even than the Picard Lily side of things. I like that's my the, my favorite part of this 
this movie. I like that it, we're having fun and we're seeing a really important aspect of Star Trek chronology that we don't really get uh, any other time. Obviously, we get a little bit of Zeph from Cochran in the original series, a little bit, and he's kind of crazy and weird in that episode. That but like, we too. actually get to see – like this is literally – the most important event in human history, according to Star Star Trek, you know the Star Trek timeline, and yeah. I, I think it's fascinating, and I really enjoy it. And it, like, it makes me really do think, like, hey, if I went back in time and and met, you know, I don't know, George Washington or or, or, or anybody, you know, you know, any historical figure, Help George Washington would, cross that Delaware. He's got to <laughs> it do would be it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Somebody would shoot him with a musket when he was, you know, running to pee or something like that. Yeah, I don't know, but no, I, that's that's my favorite part of it. But I, overall, I think it's just it's a wonderful story. Okay, and our final topic, uh, and I'll give you some time to think if you need it. But favorite scene. Oh, I know it's I know it's hard, and there's there's many good ones. Um, but if you had to pick a favorite scene in this movie, it doesn't have to be the best scene. It could just be, you know, a really a really fun scene. But uh, I'd I'd have to I can go first if you guys are still. Pondering, I, I, pondering. I have I'm gonna do also, I'm gonna do one like scene that I'm don't think makes sense, and then I'll do my favorite scene. So here's okay. one. It looks cool. I, no bones about it, and it's funny. But I'm like. What? When Data falls and gets machine gunned by Lily and's like, oh, well, tear my clothes, let yeah. me keep walking. I'm like, you have been Cupid. hit with a spear before and it kills you. Yeah. So anyway. Well, also uh, in that scene, I mean, they they knit the 21st century tech, uh, clothing. They're blending in. They're I think right. she'll notice if a man falls 30 stories and doesn't die, way to blow our cover data. That's yeah, they kept that cover sort of like 10 seconds. Okay, but my favorite scene, and you know, always me, I have to go with like the heady, you know, whatever scene, is is the end when Picard's talking to Lily. Because for one thing, it has my first contact music that, Is playing. that the scene in the, in the, the you know, the office or the lounge, right? You know. No, 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 Garden? no, 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 on the planet. Oh, okay. when he's oh on saying, the planet. Oh, when okay. she's saying, I, I thought you were has, talking about the line here now. Oh, no, so. that's too easy. Um, no, this is the one <laughs> when first contact has happened. Mm. Um, and you have that wonderful music, which we play at the beginning of our show, inter, you know, introduces our show. Um, and, you know, Lily's like, well, I envy you going to your future. And he's like, no, I envy you the life you were about to start here. And what I like is, you know, he gives her that, that peck in the cheek. And what I really respect this movie for doing, they could have gone for like, oh, we'll just have a romance. And, but they didn't do that. They just did like a good, solid friendship between a man and a woman. Um, and I'm like, that was and a that, Borg. You know, <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a wacky sitcom coming soon to NBC. Um but uh, uh CBS. NBC doesn't have the rights. <laughs> they used to. Yeah, coming soon to UPN. One board <laughs> brings together. Yeah, on the CW. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. oh but anyway, yeah. but anyway, I love I love that scene because it's very touching. It brings everything together. It's twenty fourth century meets twenty first century and each is is talking about how it is that we get to build our own future and, and make that that Star Trek future. And yeah, I know. Oh, wow. Wow. But that's my favorite one. What about you, Daniel? Have you come up with a, a favorite or even uh, a funny? I, I have a favorite and a half. Um, go. I, I'm, I'm going to say my favorite moment moment is when, uh, Cochran meets the Vulcan. I, you know, that's it, it, to me, it's such a, it, it's such an interesting and, and powerful and very Star Trek way of looking at the future. Like, it's like, 
we are going to we're at some point going to encounter these beings but we're going to instantly find some connection to them and i think that's like a super powerful message and it's like you know he's so he's not he's not 24th century or 23rd century like that we understand but it's very made it's made very clear that ultimately he still is he bridges the gap between where we are now and where we will be in star trek time that's my favorite moment um, my and, and, favorite... and I liked where he reached for his phaser and then shot the Vulcan and then said, <laughs> everyone inside the ship, steal everything they got. No, no, no. You're thinking of that classic uh, Enterprise episode. <laughs> oh, that was oh, that was a different universe? Oh, okay. That was a much more awesome universe. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, yeah. um, but my favorite, my favorite scene of First Contact, it's... Wow, it is. It's really tough to say, isn't it? I mean, there are there are so many great scenes, but so like, many scenes. <laughs> I'm a doctor. I really not a doorstop. <laughs> oh God! See, there you go. That's like a, that's a uh, just a great scene as well. But uh, I actually like. I really enjoy the scene where, uh, like, <sighs> this is so hard. This is so hard to think. Of a single, I had to hang on. Give me a second here, because I, I had a way to describe it. Okay, here while, while you while you internalize that, I'll just give you a, first my favorite shot. Okay. Um, is right in the beginning that super pull out from Picard's eye is just such a beautiful bash, shot. Bash, bash, um, bash. And you know, I mean, you and I didn't I didn't really notice it till watching it this time. But I mean, obviously the opening credits they have you know the the blurring words and but that's still technically that's all inside Picard's eye because that's what we we pull out of and then yeah this is just, is this is far beyond the stars moment who's Patrick Stewart pullout, though because you have him there and he's the only thing in red you know in in the sphere or the in the cube and then it's just you get the set you're talking about scale of the enterprise this is the scale of the Borg cube it's like mm-hmm. this thing is massive and he is so small I mean he's the only human in this entire cube you know it's not and mostly hollow apparently but yeah i agree it's, well yeah it's but it's, well i mean <laughs> if the world is hollow you could probably touch the sky but oh but anyway Season. that's my favorite uh my favorite shot uh that just for its composition and, and how it's executed but okay so daniel you, you yes mesh your, mesh i know i know yes, that's yes, okay it's okay Yep. My favorite scene, and, and this is what a lot of people have a big problem with the philosophy of Star Trek about, and I kind of do too. I kind of don't know how it exactly would work, but I absolutely love the conversation between Lily and Picard when he's trying to explain to her the economics of the future. Mm. Um, I, I actually, I really do. It, it speaks volumes to me about how he's like, things work differently in the future. Like, our, our, like our main motivation isn't the, the uh acquisition of wealth or things it's it's more about the betterment of society and and mankind and people and like there's a i understand a lot of people have a big problem with that like well who who builds the starships you know like like you know like on this you know you know maybe at a certain level it's very difficult and and maybe even impossible to to see that as a sustainable society at this point but i actually think that that's kind of star trek in a nutshell I think that that's that that's ultimately where um, the optimism of Star Trek is, is like, you know, it's not about stuff and things. And it's like 
how do we make ourselves better than we are now? And, and how do we move forward into the future? And I, I, you know, I don't think there is a better example of how the entire Star Trek philosophy is ever articulated by any character in Star Trek than that scene between those two characters. Yeah, and I think what kind of builds upon that is, you know, the spill the beans, you know, F the prime directive scene of when um, they're explaining to Zephyrin, uh, semi-drunk, Zephyrin Cochran, you know, Riker's like, okay, here's this whole story. You're like, let me get this straight here, like Columbo. Um, <laughs> I have one more question. Um, and, and But I, I like how their, you know, first contact changes everything. In 50 years, there's no poverty, there's no war. I'm like thinking to myself, in one way, it's like, is that... Like really? I mean, I mean, in a good way. Like that's all it takes. You know, Deanna says it brought, the first contact with an alien species brought people together. And remember, this is like post World War Three Earth. You know, no governments mm-hmm. or few governments. There destroyed. are six hundred million less people on this planet, so that, <laughs> no that does help. Um, yeah, all the jerks died, um, and uh, <laughs> or got shipped away. Yeah, but but I, they said fifty years, and and that made me think. Not to get nerdy historical here, but it made me think of of things we've done here already on Earth in that short of a time. Like you think, you know, post World War Two Germany or post World War Two Japan or even China. You know, countries that were not doing very well, but in less than fifty years, they've become economic powerhouses. I mean, you had Germany post World War Two, and then the Soviet domination in Eastern Germany, but now they're one country. Now they're a very well good working country, and and Japan is, you know, and China, and you would never believe that, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was nothing but rubble and, you know, all that stuff. And and even America, we are a young country that became a world power in a relatively short time, you know, but that we as humanity, humanity has shown that we do have this capacity to progress. Like even if you want to use something as silly as technology, you know, I'm 33 years old. In 1980, what you could buy from the store regarding personal computing 33 years later in 2014 is completely, utterly different in that realm of time where his technology has advanced. Um, and that in 50 years, when we were come together from the seminal event, that we could actually get rid of these things that have been plaguing us for forever is, is you know, whether that could really happen or not, is definitely aspirational. And like you said, Daniel, that's what I love about Trek and what I love about this movie. Well, and you know what I just realized? Um, taking into account Lily's age, she will probably live to see that. Mm-hmm. She will probably live to see that utopia born uh, that's within her, her possible lifespan. Well, Cochran saw the Warp 5 project begin. Oh, oh Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a long time going from this movie to that series. Anyway. Oh, get, well, from getting from there to here, though, it's been, yeah, a long time. Uh, I think our our, t- our time is finally here. Right the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, so no, I will. My favorite scene, uh, which is not quite the emotional powerhouse of the two favorite scenes you guys have chosen, um, but I love the whole sequence of the fight on the deflector dish, uh, from mm-hmm. you know the zero genus the to every, you know okay we got to move the isolinear chips and apparently turning something counterclockwise is ridiculously hard in space you know but um but it's cool and it's just it's a fun 
it's a, it's an action scene, but it's it's still very rooted in Star Trek. Because you think about it, you have these these bad guys, and we got to stop them, and we have our weapons, but we also have to operate something manually for the first time because. <laughs> You know, I've never seen anything manually done on Star Trek. It's always like bypassed and routed, and um, it doesn't end well. The manual <laughs> control thing does not end well in Star Trek: Next not. Generation. I have to say, with uh, well, I mean, you could do a joystick, but uh, uh, let's not. Let's just not. Stay let's tuned not for the next it. movie review on Earl Grey. <laughs> <laughs> it, Darren, that is to me the thing about First Contact. It's meant to be seen in a theater experience, even if it's in your home movie theater like it can't be just a regular t- it has to have this loud sound and that scene was i was edging my seat when i was in the movie theater that first i'm like do i really think any of these people are gonna die but i'm like oh my god what's gonna happen <laughs> and and i it, the, and i agree like the one of the first things i mentioned on this show was was the scale and that's where we get this from like this is one of my favorite parts of the episode as well and i how many people i, I think i'm Pretty sure, and I could be fabricating this memory because that's possible, but I'm pretty sure I saw this in theaters. And how many people didn't cheer and get excited, even at the lame joke, assimilate this? Like, how, like we we stand up, we love it, we love that line. It's Yippee wonderful. Ki-yay, it? Borg. <laughs> <laughs> no, I it's, mean, it's 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 not the best line, but it, the way he delivers it and yeah. the way he's like, oh, he he probably. Yeah, he probably says that every single time he shoots someone. It's just internally inside his head. And that time he let Worf it out. is the Arnold Schwarzenegger of Trek. He's got that Borg like arm like yeah, tied his, to his, his tourniquet, like, you know. That, yeah, that yeah, was like, you're the like scene. oh this is awesome. That, like, you're talking about shots, Darren, of like, oh yeah. god, Worf's cornered like he's gonna hand to hand fight the Borg. What the heck? Yeah. And it just like pans to his Klingon blade in yeah. the back, which he like, pulls out a Mac He, he packed that. Back. Why did he yeah. pack that? Because you know, like, he's Worf. Like, what do you mean? Why does he? He is the biggest VA of Star Trek. Oh my god. Apparently, he doesn't remember his zero G training because I'm sure they teach you not to bring a sharp knife inside your suit when you're going to be fighting. But you know, only Worf would bring a knife to a Borg fight. That's right. That's right. But uh, anyway, that's just that's I think that's one of my favorite scenes. It's just it's a great sequence. Uh, and and again, and, and Picard, like, why is Picard on this? If Riker was on the Enterprise, there's no way he'd let Picard get an EVA suit and climb all over the ship. Uh, but fortunately, this wasn't the D because the, you know, no, no. while while they make it seem like it is larger, I, I just have a feeling the E is is quite a bit actually smaller in volume than than the than the D mostly just in deck count. I'm pretty sure the E has like 36 decks. Uh, well, uh, not according to this movie, there's 24. According oh, to that's right. Movie. Yeah. It's okay. Even less. So 24 <laughs> decks. The D has 42. That's like twice as many decks. The D is so ridiculously tall, but then they just took it and they just kind of squished it and took yeah, out the, that neck. The director's and, cut of First Contact is actually split into three movies where they're walking to the deflector dish. <laughs> um. <laughs> but anyway, so no, but it, it's a great... Uh, I, I just can't even picture him trying to do that on the Enterprise D uh, deflector dish. I don't think it would make... It would just wouldn't... 
it, it's it's not it's not a circle. It's one of the only deflector dishes that's not a circle. Well, one last thing I just had to mention as we've been discussing first contact is sweeping the internet by storm is this wonderful song by the musical duo Debs and Errol. And it's called Make It So, a parody of Let It Go from Disney's Frozen. And it basically reworks that song, but it tells the story of Jean-Luc Picard in First Contact. So I was able to reach out to Debs and Errol on Twitter, and they gave us permission to play the entire song here on Earl Grey. And we'll also have a link to the awesome music video they've created on YouTube. But it, it, it just really wraps up and describes First Contact in, in such a fun and creative way. So enjoy. The starship flies over Earth tonight Full of new technology there's talk of assimilation by a different kind of queen. And now I'm here on board and we've been occupied. They adapt to fast staying suicide. But there's a chance the crew agrees. Fix the timeline, help him hit warp speed. The answer's clear, we have to go. But you say no. Make it so, make it so. Say the words that your fame is for. Make it so, make it so. You're not here to start a up to you any day It's funny you're resistant when you claim you're logical Well, Jean-Luc, you could have fooled me I'm not seeing that at all No one knows them as well as you I don't know who I'd be you through. You say it's for humanity. I disagree. Make it so. Make it so. Say the words. Lose the enterprise. Make it so. Make it so. There's no place for compromise. It's your command. It's the only way. Or the
mothership anyway. This has been a lot of fun talking about First Contact. Such a such a great, great movie. Uh, but it's just one of the Trek topics that we've been talking about here on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Hal Sutherland and the Animated Series. I don't like the animated series. It's not good. <laughs> However... See, that's the kind of stuff that makes me forget about it. <laughs> Would you rather me watch Deep Space Nine or the animated series? Okay, but now that you're we done, made that choice. Now that you're done with Deep Space Nine, you can move on to the animated series. Earl Grey. TNG reboot. I have a, a lot of problems with this this concept of let's just do the next next generation. I don't think it's possible. To me, a big part of Star Trek is like this aspect of exploration and finding out the unknown and going out places we've never been. The Ready Room. The Wire. He's basically becoming a good Federation citizen, and that's causing a huge amount of conflict. And maybe even before he was here, that's what got him here, is that his inner ideals made him a bad Cardassian. The Orb. Esri Dax. Which to me, she really seems like, you know, that boy or girl now who's gotten out of college, is living at home again and not really sure what they want to do with their life because nothing's turning out the way they thought it was going to. Which is funny because her character is actually more relevant now than it was then. To the journey! Voyager Season 3 Marathon. Being a child of the 90s and I hadn't watched this in a while, I realized, oh my gosh, how things had changed and how things hadn't changed. Rain Robinson's... Gigant, enormous cell phone with the huge antenna and her hippie van, the lava lamp. I mean, I just loved it all. Uh, it was very groovy. Warp 5. Enterprise Season 5. Well, they, they could find, I mean, more excitement in the decon chamber with this whole trip Trantipole love triangle thing for sure. Yeah, the Dorian fight scene in the decon chamber. Think about oh, it. Wow. Commentary, Trek stars. Robert Hewitt Wolf Andromeda. I suppose the easiest way to describe them would be a bat, who lead living hosts for their young. They're kind of like, kind of like, uh, I'm going to say xenomorphs in Alien, even though Max would kill me for saying that. Yes, and I dare say he will when he listens. Literary Treks. Protectors with Kirsten Byer. Again, it's just you look at realistically, as realistically as you possibly can, you know, coming that close to death, being in the continuum, I mean, what's that going to do to someone? And I struggled for a long time figuring out how to have her, again, realistically work through all of those things. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows podcast directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream them on our website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for the podcast directory to get all the links. Well, we have three great new iTunes reviews that, uh, unfortunately, it took us a while to discover because they're in other countries. And so now you guys need to go and check every country in this world every day to find these because I don't want to miss another review. Or actually, even better, send us a, a message on Twitter when you write us a review if you're not in the in the American iTunes store because we, we don't want to miss these. But I'm on the Gravetta we, Islands iTunes page. Oh, see, that explains a lot. Uh, how many how many stars do we have in Gravetta Islands? Oh, wait, they, wait, never mind. All these people are trying to keep out of history's way. Oh, okay, okay. So uh, I want to give, first give a thank out to... Jarek, who writes, there are four cups of Earl Grey. 
Uh, Earl Grey is the first Star Trek The Next Generation specific podcast I will be listening to on a regular basis. I'm a huge fan of Trek, but TNG has never really hit the mark for me. But I know what Trek FM are capable of, and after listening to a couple of shows, I know the podcast will only enhance TNG's reputation. Wow, that has to be one of the nicest reviews I've read uh, for our show. Thank you, Derek. That's that's very kind, and we do hope you really enjoy and and jump into to TNG. It's it's such a great show. Next, we have Colin M H, uh, a newcomer to the internet, who writes hot tea. Uh, three people gathered around and talk about all manner of things to do with the TNG universe while displaying the knowledge they have for the franchise. They also have a lot of fun in the discussion. If you're a TNG fan, it's worth giving a go. Well, thank you, Colin, whoever you are. And we hope, uh, you know, that's actually Colin from our, our very own uh, Melodic Treks. <laughs> but, um, but we do thank him for writing a review as uh, uh, we like to scratch each other's backs here on Trek FM. But Yeah, that's uh, Admiral Colin. Oh, Admiral Colin. Yes, yes. Uh, he, Vice Admiral. So he, is he on an Excelsior ship? Because that has the little, you know, the T, uh, you know, special He's the, uh, the Supreme table. Allied uh, Trek commander on uh, there <laughs> oh, in the yes, UK. And then we have uh, one more from uh, Gary DeLum. Uh, that says TNG philosophy. This is from the Australian store. Love the latest podcast. I agree with you all and why you love TNG so much. I also, for I also like the futuristic technology and the starships. If there was one other reason, it's Dr. Beverly Crusher. Season Tid did not exist in my humble opinion. So, well, apparently if it's redheaded Dr. Crusher, then first contact doesn't exist in your uh, humble opinion. But I hope you don't hold that against it. And I hope you do enjoy this movie as well. <laughs> just change the color on your screen. It's what I did. Well, but yeah, but then everyone else looks blue. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. <laughs> blue skies. No, 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 no. Wrong oh, movie, wrong boy. movie. Okay. Well, before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps bring Earl Grey to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read, and that latest Star Trek novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. And so we'd like to thank Audible for supporting Earl Grey and Trek FM. And lastly, there's one more way that you can directly help us at Earl Grey to help us keep coming to you each week, and that's by adopting some aliens. Well, illustrations, anyway. If you go to trek.fm slash donate, you'll find eight original alien illustrations by Tobu Uji, who does most of the artwork you'll see on our site. They're available in both badges and art prints, and there are different combination and con- contribution levels that you can choose from. Just let us know what you'd like and in what format. Again, you'll find them at trek.fm slash donate, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting and bandwidth all the things that are needed to bring you this show and every show on the network each week. Now, if uh, people want to discuss your uh, phaser EM band regeneration tactics, uh, Philip, where would they find you? They can find me Darren at sleep. <laughs> <laughs>
Darren Slee. <laughs> I mean, they can find me at on. Is that of an underscore? <laughs> <laughs> they can find me on Twitter at NC Public Servant. That's NC like North Carolina. And what about you, Daniel? If people uh, want to learn about your barrel roll maneuvers, uh, how would they how would they reach? I you? do barrel roll quite a bit on Twitter. Um, so it would be one up Dan. That is the number one, not the word. And if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Dr. Sci-Fi. That's D-R-S-C-I-F-I. And you can also listen to me on my other podcast, The Dr. Sci-Fi Show, which is available on iTunes. So I'm just, just thinking about it. If if they ejected a primary portion of the deflector dish, which is pretty sure is responsible for like, you know, warp drive travel, uh, chroniton emissions, uh, so that shot of the Enterprise leaving and going <laughs> back to the future is actually it. <laughs> Disintegrating and spreading across billions of years. But uh, So I'm going to go find Captain Picard and tap him on the shoulder and just say, uh, you might want to replicate another one of those before we go to war. So, uh, but it's been real fun talking about first contact. Live long and prosper. Engage. I believe our future is waiting for us. Make it so. Fire.